Zach Purton was a sensation when he began his riding career in Brisbane. He won the senior premiership when he was still an apprentice in 2003. He moved to Sydney, but not even Sydney was big enough to hold him because the world was beckoning his talents. He moved to Hong Kong at the start of the 07-08 season. And there were some rocky times, as there always is for jockeys who start in Hong Kong. But since then, it's record after record after record. Six premierships in all. The most number of wins in a season. There's only two meetings a week. 179 winners in 22-23. The most prize money for his mounts in a season. A staggering 277 million Hong Kong dollars. That's about 55 million Australian dollars. We'd all like 10% of that plus slings, wouldn't we, Will Friedman? (laughs) I could go on and on. But the best thing is, when the big meetings roll around, he catches the red eye and he comes out here and we get to see his talents on Australian soil. Zach Purton, beaming in from Hong Kong, welcome to the Heart of Racing. It's a nice intro you've got there for me. Appreciate that. Well, Zach, it's true. Like, it, it is record after record. You're a rock star in Hong Kong. Yeah, well, it's not bragging if it's true, right? So <laughs> we'll go with it. <laughs> exactly. Like, hey, when you went there at the start, Zach, were you thinking this is a 15-year, 20-year thing as it's turned out for yourself and your wife, Nicole? No, I originally come here to fulfill the six-month contract that I was originally given. I'd seen that every jockey that had left Australia and gone to Hong Kong had then gone back to Australia, a much improved rider and much improved business person, and they'd gone to the upper echelon of the riders in Australia. Not that I wasn't sort of already there, but I was, I was sort of um, working my way to that position. You're almost there, was a... almost there. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, when I was in Sydney, Darren Beban was the stable rider for the All Conquering Crown Lodge, so he was pretty hard to tackle at that time. But running second to him both years I was in Sydney was not a bad achievement in itself, but I just wanted to take myself to the next level and I thought I'd come over here, gain the experience, uh, and the plan was to go back to Australia and then try and get right to the top. But uh, something about this place, even though it was so difficult in those early stages, those early years, I just loved the racing, I loved the city, I loved the culture. Uh, and I decided to stick it out for a little bit longer. Uh, there was a time when I, I did want to go home, but Nicole decided she wanted to stay. And as most uh, women do, they they get their way. And th- thank thankfully she did because uh, it's worked out well. Yeah, when you you obviously when you started, you didn't start slowly by any means. It's a very difficult place, Neil, to to get momentum because a lot of the a lot of the Hong Kong client that they ride on luck and, and momentum. Um, what was the, what was the turning point for you, Zach, when you first went to to Hong Kong where you went, nah, I'm going to make it here. I just remember thinking, um, I wasn't given many opportunities early on. And every time I was given an opportunity on a horse that I thought could win, uh, I did win on it. So I thought if I can just get more opportunities, I think I can ride more winners and then we'll see what happens. But when I first arrived, it was very different to what it is now. Uh, you didn't have any managers. You didn't have anyone to help you out. You basically got off the plane. You were dumped in the apartments and you were left to fend for yourself. And I walked into an environment where there were a number of jockeys that had been here for 10 or 15 years. And as you know, when you're here for that amount of time, you've built up their connections with the owners and the trainers. And they're more willing to give jockeys the opportunities on the horses that they already have a connection with. They've been successful for them. 
they know who, who they are, they know what they can do, why are they going to give this young kid that they can't even pronounce his name <laughs> a go on a horse that they, they basically don't know about? So uh, it was just really hard to get an opportunity and it wasn't towards it wasn't until towards the end of the first season when Glenn Boss, funny enough, uh, had a falling out with Ricky Yu uh, and Ricky come to me and, and said, uh, you know, I don't have a jockey riding for my stable at the moment. I like what I see from you. Would you like to come and ride for me? And I said, well, I'm not riding for anyone else. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take what I can get. And uh, in that last month of the season, I rode 10 winners. And if you ride 10 winners in a month here in Hong Kong, you're absolutely flying because we only race for 10 months a year. So if you do 10 by 10, that's 100 winners in a mm. season. And only three jockeys in history have ridden 100 or more winners in a season here. So... You know, that, that really gave me the confidence and the belief that I could come back the next season and try and get a little bit more support and try and build off that. And, um, you know, I come back and it wasn't, it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be uh, in that second season. I had to sort of start from the bottom again, but I had a little bit more of a support base and, you know, a few months in, things started to get going. When you, when you talk, like the Sydney jockeys, and I know you, you're still friends with a lot of the Sydney jockeys, um, they will always talk about how competitive the room is in Sydney and how how tough it is in Sydney. Try and give us some insight about the challenges and why why Hong Kong is such a tough place. A lot of good jockeys have tried to make their way in Hong Kong and have come back. You know, it, they haven't been able to make it work. What are some of those challenges for them? So firstly, you're not allowed to have a manager here. So you need to trace your own rides. You need to do your own bookings. You need to plan ahead. And it's not just the bookings on race day. We have to book our barrier trials. We have to book our track work. Uh, and with that, you know, politics come into play. If a certain trainer or a certain owner have been giving you some opportunities and all of a sudden you don't want to ride their horse again on race day or you don't want to turn up for track work or you've got other rides to ride, uh, in the barrier trials, they mm. can quickly go off you. So politically, it's a really, really difficult place to keep everyone happy. And you've got to remember, we only have, at the moment, 21 trainers on the roster. So if you're out of favour with, you know, even five or six of those trainers, you're left with only 15 trainers to try and work with. And it's really difficult to find the right balance. But the the biggest thing is uh, is our racing. You know, we are very quick from the gates. We're very quick to get positions. Our races are run at a strong tempo. But it's not like in Australia where you just jump out of the gates, you cruise mm. along, you fall into a position, you fall asleep until you get to the 400-metre mark, and then you try and navigate a path home. Here, there are so many things happening in the races. The tempo is changing. Jockeys are making mid-race moves. Uh, you've got to be alert and aware all the time. And I just think that the the ferocious pace of our paces uh, of our races and and the things that happen um within the races I, I think it throws a lot of jockeys off and it can take quite some time to start to feel comfortable and get used to that how, how have you been so successful though zach navigating all that do you just try and ride your own race while all this is going on around you because we watch the races from hong kong here and you can tell the pace is unbelievable it's helter skelter I think firstly, uh, riding in southeast Queensland in Brisbane um, and those country tracks in northern New South Wales where, you know, getting horses out of the gates, getting them up, getting them running, getting them into positions, I think that that's really given me uh, a good tool set to be successful um, in this environment. So that, that certainly helps. 
Uh, I'm an aggressive rider as well, so I, I like to get up the horses a bit and make sure that they're on, on their game and they're switched on. So that helps. Um, I'm an, a sort of an aggressive competitor. Um, you know, I don't give an inch. I don't expect an inch. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's the lure of the jungle. We're all out there trying to do the best that we can um, for ourselves. And, and um, you know, that sort of sums up the way our racing is. But I just, uh, I've got a bit of a thick skin. I, I don't let too many things worry me. And I think sometimes as a sportsman, if your confidence gets down a little bit and you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable and things aren't going right, then it's very easy to put your head under the pillow and try and block things out. But I'm a little bit the opposite. I I sort of jump out of bed and try and take things head on. Do you think you'll be there a while? Like you're uh, you're forty years of age now. Like am I allowed? Are you still? You're going to be thirty nine for the rest of your life, <laughs> like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little mini life crisis when I turned forty. It was just something about my scales have got my name and my age on them when I step on them. And all through my thirties, I was fine with the, the three coming up and the number after. It didn't worry me, but. As soon as that four come up, oh, I was in a bit of a spin. <laughs> well, you look so, at Ollie, you look it, at Ollie. You, you've still got plenty of time left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's uh, he enjoys what he does, Ollie, doesn't he? But um, yeah, I, I think as a sportsman, you got a shelf life. You can't go on forever. I would prefer to retire while I'm at the top, or considered to still be doing well at what I'm doing, than on the way out when I'm getting my ass kicked out the door. So. Uh, I don't know how much longer I've got left in me. My body will probably tell me that. Um, but, yeah, I, I had planned 10 years ago I decided I was going to retire when I was 40. 40 come around and I'm still going around. So, <laughs> what, <laughs> but what, but On this point, like you've won every race describable in Hong Kong. Every, I think he was the first jockey to ride the group, every group one in Hong Kong, the first yeah. rider to and, do that. And you've ridden... Group ones in, in Australia, Japan, Australia, at Ascot. Like, what motivates you now? Like, it, you've now broken the record for the most wins in a season. Um, is there some? Is there still a carrot dangling there that you want to achieve? Yeah, there's something called a Melbourne Cup. <laughs> I'd love to win that. <laughs> it's it's hard, a hard race to win, as everyone knows. You know, you need so many things to go right. It's a handicap. You need to have the horse with the right weight and mm. the right draw the right track conditions on the day, and then so many different things can happen within that race with different movements and, you know, you just got to be in the right spot at the right time. So it's incredibly hard to win it, but, uh, you know, that is the goal and that's what I'm still searching for. But closer to home here, what else is there for me to do? Nothing really. Um, I've, I've sort of done everything that a jockey can do here, but what keeps me motivated? Just success. I, I enjoy winning. I don't like losing. Um, I still get that same kick and that same thrill every time I ride that winner, that same feeling of satisfaction and, and achievement. And it's so much that goes on behind the scenes mm. that people don't take into account. And I actually did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, which hasn't come out yet. And it's the first time I've been asked this question and I'd never thought about it before in my life. And he asked me how many hours off the track do I put in to that one race? So we have 10 races here on a Sunday and eight races on a Wednesday. And let's just say that those races go for for two minutes. They don't go for that long, of course, but yeah. two minutes. Uh, so that's, that's 36 minutes um, of racing per week. And if I added up the amount of time I spent at track work, barrier trials, all the personal training I do, 
you know, the physio, um, the uh, the form analyst analysis that I have to do with the barrier trials and the races and getting ready for race day and all sweating in the bath and all that 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 comes with it. I'm I'm doing about 39 hours a week for 36 minutes of competition. Yeah, incredible. So there's a lot behind the scenes that go into just race day, which would be the same in every stable with the trainers and the staff. Mm. And they're the things that people don't think about. But uh, you put a lot of a lot of hours in that you don't really get paid for. So would the the lure of a Melbourne Cup bring you back to Australia for a period of time, potentially later in your career, to try and achieve that while being in Australia and building a rapport with some of the – obviously there are more trainers in Australia that have runners that you could potentially get on and – not to say you're not highly sought after, but would that sort of draw you back back to Australia at any point, or do you think you'll finish your days riding in Hong Kong? It is something that I certainly considered um, a fair few months back when when I was tossing up whether I would move back to Australia or not, and that was probably one of the number one reasons mm. I put at the top of the moving back home list. Um, but when I sort of weighed up everything, I just felt like, Hong Kong is is where I am. Yeah, uh, we enjoy being here and winning a Melbourne Cup. If I'm to move home, I'm still not guaranteed to no, win it. That's, um, that's very true. Exactly. But 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 I look look at it, Zach. You know, when you first go there in '07, it's a culture shock, right? And, and and everyone knows that it's a culture shock to suddenly go and live in an apartment at the Hong Kong Jockey Club, and and as you explained so well before, doing everything yourself and working it all out. It'd be a culture shock for your family to come back now. Like Nicole, I've read I've read a lot of comments from her. She absolutely loves it there. You've had two kids there, Roxy and Cash. To bring them out of Hong Kong would be strange. Well, they don't know any different, do they? They no. were born here, so they've they've grown up here and they were raised here. But uh, you know, we just spent some time back home in Sydney during the off season, and they know we're going to be moving home soon. We're sort of trying to integrate them um, back mm. into that. So. They're, they're wrapping their head around it. But, yeah, it will be a shock. They're not going to have a driver driving them around everywhere. They're not going to have a helper, as we call them here, doing everything for them. They just click their fingers at the moment and, and ask for something else to eat. So they're not going to be getting that when they get but home. My kids you. do that. There's no helper, Zach, I can tell you. <laughs> it, it, ne- you. <laughs> it never ends. But what what is life like there for, for a family in Hong Kong? And back here in Australia, we just read about the really strict rules of the Hong Kong Jockey Club about how the, the jockeys have to live and, and, and operate. Do you get a lot of freedom? Like, tell us about your life there. Yeah, so, of course, the Hong Kong Jockey Club's the biggest organisation here in Hong Kong, the, the biggest taxpayer. Um, so there, there are a lot of pressures that come with that, but they're, they're good. Like, as long as we're turning up to work and doing the right thing and going to the races and doing our job um, and we're not causing trouble around the city, then, you know, we're pretty pretty free to do whatever we want. So... You know, we ride track work uh, six days or I ride six days a week, Monday to Saturday. I give myself Sunday morning off because we race Sunday afternoon. Um, And, of course, Wednesday night we have barrier trials Tuesday and Friday. But outside of those things, we're free to do whatever we want. So we can go hiking, we can go on a boat, we can play golf, go for lunch, dinner. We can live a normal life. And that was one of the things that first hit me when I come to Hong Kong was that I could be a jockey but still live like a normal person. Whereas in Australia, you're spending so many hours in the car travelling and going to the provincial meetings, even the sitting meetings and yep. travelling to track work. And, you know, a lot of the time some of these guys that had kids, they'd get up to go and ride track work. By the time 
they were home, the kids would be at school, they'd then go to the races. By the time they got home from the races, if they went to a provincial area, the kids might already be in bed. And that might go on for two or three days. So you, you don't see your family for a few days, whereas here I can duck home from track work, um, just space my rides around a little bit, say goodbye to the kids before they go to school. I'm here most of the time when they get home. Um, if we're not out for dinner, playing golf, doing those types of things. And that's one of the things Nicole really enjoys about being here is the family life and that uh, that I'm around so often, whereas she remembers growing up back home how her dad was mm. so busy she oh, didn't yeah. see as much of him as she wanted to. We, we should tell everyone that her dad was Jim Cassidy, obviously, and and we all know about his famous career and how much riding he did. I don't want to invade your privacy, Zach, but it looks like a fair apartment. I don't want you to show us it, but I want you to tell us that those trophies behind you, there's a lot of them. What are some of those? <laughs> um, uh, well, this one was when I rode my 1500th winner here in Hong Kong. The jockey club gave me that. Um, Is that the horse? That one. Yeah, that's the horse, yeah. Uh, that's the ring with guineas. Um, that one is Canterbury Stakes. Oh, you got the uh, Sydney ones there. Yeah, well, we're getting a new cabinet built because I need more room for all the trophies. <laughs> it's not a bad problem to have. <laughs> no, that's right. It's a good problem. <laughs> a couple of the jockeys actually were getting shitty with me there for a while because <laughs> I only keep the group one or the big trophies, right, the ones that really matter. The other ones I sort of give away and... And uh, I give them. To, I was giving them to the kids in the playground, and they were going home saying, "Oh, Daddy, I got this trophy, got this trophy." And they ended up coming to the race and saying, "Listen, can you cut that out? You know, you're, you're making it look bad." So now the valet gets them, and people that come to Hong Kong get them, and I give them to people around the city. So just one thing, one more thing on Hong Kong, probably people don't understand, and what you've touched on it briefly is how close the relationship is between jockeys and not just trainers, but jockeys and owners. It's um very much a part of Hong Kong racing um, and a probably a lot of honour, a lot yeah, of honour yeah, involved. But they, they have, in, Zach will touch on it, but they have intimate relationships with owners in Hong Kong, unlike a lot of Australian jockeys do with, with owners as much. So just give us some insight about the demands of the social scene in, in Hong Kong as well to, to build up those, those relationships. Yeah, well, COVID has sort of changed the landscape a little bit. They've got used to not seeing us as much as they were previously and maybe I've been around for so long now that um, they don't need to see me as much as they used to face-to-face. But certainly uh, when I first arrived and up until uh, COVID, you know, I was going out for lunch or dinner, you know, three to four times a week um, with them, just showing your face, building your relationship. Um, those types of things. But the, the owners are very important because it is so easy for them to transfer a horse here in Hong Kong. Mm. So in a lot of ways, they've got more say about what the horse is going to do than the trainer does. Now, it depends which stay we're in. Um, some trainers have a lot more control than others. But if an owner tells a trainer he wants jockey A on his horse and he puts jockey B or C on the horse and it gets B, that's all the excuse he needs to put a transfer in the next day and send a new trainer down with a head collar to pick the horse up. So, oh, wow. Because they're all stable the, the near train, each other. That's right. They're all stable together, and all the stables are the same. So you can easily take a horse out of one box and put it in another. So, you know, when, when the owner puts their foot down and they want to run a horse on a certain day because it's, it's their birthday or their anniversary or they've got a friend in town, then, you know, a lot of the time you've just got to run it. And if they want to pick a jockey, you know, you've got to let them pick the jockey. So they've got a lot of control in this place. 
Zach, I have to ask you about coming back to Australia. And I always marvel at you guys and, and you come here and, and you ride on a Saturday and then I'll turn the Chartin races on on a Sunday Arv, and There he is. There's Zach or there's the Aussie jockeys. I, I can't believe you catch those red eyes. Is it, a, is it a toll on you to come back to Australia for these big meetings like the Everest and the Melbourne Cup, the big Saturday meetings during the spring and the autumn? Listen, it's not like sleeping in your own bed and not having to travel anywhere and just bouncing out uh, like you normally would, but uh, I actually enjoy doing it. I sleep well on the planes. You know, I'm not a very big person, so I can lie down flat and I get a decent sleep. I enjoy seeing everyone back home. I enjoy being um, a part of the carnivals back there and riding the good horses in the big races. So I think I get more out of it than just sitting back here and watching it from here. And like I said, I, I enjoy it. And Hong Kong in some ways can get a little bit stale because we live on the race course. Um, we go to the same training track every day. We have the same two meetings every week. There's the same horses, the same trainers, the same owners, the same everything. Um, and you can just get into a little bit of a grind. So it can be a little bit refreshing getting on a plane, going to a new environment. It's like going for a holiday. You feel excited to get on the plane. You feel excited to be somewhere new. So it does um, invigorate you a little bit as well. Uh, but, you know, I, like I said, I, I enjoy doing it. So, um, yeah, it's uh, for me, it's... Well, we I, like I, having I you here. We, we like having <laughs> you. Well, well, it adds, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the more big names the better. Hey, Zach, the Melbourne Cup, have, have you got a ride in mind yet? Have you been contacted by anyone? Yeah, I do. So I'm going to ride absurd for Willie Mullins, who's an absolute oh, genius ride. trainer. I've got so much time for him, so much respect. He's an amazing horseman. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's set this horse for the race. Uh, it's not his number one seed, of course, because he's got Vorben, um, who's the favourite for the race. Um, but I think I'm on a really good second pick. Absurd. Uh, you, you should see his gallop. I, I worked there for six weeks. It's when it gets wet, his horses are swimming in the gallop. It's so deep. It's like his horses come out so rock hard fit. You just, okay. if you're Zach, you're thinking this thing's going to run two miles plus. He's going to do it. Hey, Zach, I know time's tight for you because you, you're going to go and jump on a plane. I just want to put you through a little bit of rapid fire. What's the best horse you've <laughs> ridden in Hong Kong? Beauty Generation. Well, I won a stack. Yeah, he was uh, he was awesome. Well, he's a, he was the first horse to win over a hundred million Hong Kong dollars wow. in prize money. He won ten races in a row. He held the record for the most Group Ones. One, he actually held two track records: one over fourteen hundred and one over twenty two hundred. Wow. And then he ended up a miler. So he was just an amazing horse. Best horse you've ridden in Australia? Oh, geez, that's a tricky one. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll say Artorias, eh? Artorias, yeah, good one. <laughs> Who's been your biggest rival? Oh, Joe Marrera by far. Mate, what a competitor. What a rider. He's so pretty to watch. Um, naturally talented and gifted. Such such a strong-minded competitor when he's when he's up and he's confident and he's in his groove. So he's, <laughs> he was great to watch. Are you mates or rivals? Oh, I'd say we're mates, yeah, and uh, probably even more so now. We're not competing against each other. <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was an amazing rivalry for so many years. Uh, your interests outside of racing, I've got to ask you about rugby league. I know you're really keen on your league. Yeah, so I go for the Roosters, love them. How does great that happen? Team, great organisation. You're from Brisbane. How does that happen? That's like no, blasphemy well, for, a, for a Queensland. 
Well, I, I'm not a Queenslander. This is the misconception, right? I was born in Lismore in northern New South Wales. Oh, that's so close everyone... to the Queensland border, please. <laughs> that, that's where that's where Israel Falau came from near there, didn't he? So he played for Queensland. Greg Inglis. Greg, Greg, Greg Inglis. Inglis. Yeah. No, he came from Maxville. Oh, my God. Anyway, yeah. But the Roosters, you love them? Yeah, of course. Um, great side. They're always competitive, so they're good. I go for the Swans in the AFL. Um, yeah, just a bit of a Sydney boy these days. And in Hong Kong, your interests, you play golf, what do you do? Yeah, I play golf. Uh, not as good uh, as I want to be. I find it quite no a frustrating game. I <laughs> probably <laughs> probably play two good games a, a year and the rest of them uh, are disappointing. But anyway, it is what it is. I'm trying to work on it. I'm trying to get better. And when I retire, that's what I'll be spending a lot of my time trying to uh, perfect. Oh, don't rush to retire then. I'll tell you what. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Will, Will was a very promising golfer and is still a very good golfer. No, only only when I don't get given an official handicap. Uh, I, I, need, I need to play the, you the can field play. a little we bit. Know, we, we, you can play, and it's a cliche, but you are a burglar. Well, Zach Purton, it's going to be a pleasure to see you in Australia over the Spring Carnival. Thanks so much for uh, spending such generous time with us. All the best to you and Nicole and Roxy and Cash, and we hope that the family comes back and you do ride in Australia for a season or two before it's all over. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, if light infantry ends up getting to the Cox Plate, the, the family's already going to be in Australia. So I'll come out to the Valley for that and Nicole will get back down for the Melbourne Cup. So I'll, uh, I'll have some travelling companions. But, yeah, it's, uh, we'll see. You never know what the future holds. But it's been great. Good to speak to you guys and uh, I'm looking forward to coming back. Yeah, Thanks. well, we know it's hard to get him because it – was it 10% of 277 million Hong Kong dollars in a season? It's hard to lure a bloke back to Australia. Safe travel, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Zach. Yeah.